Hey, it's Guy here, and you're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MKT Call. It's a video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday, live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we are joined by Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young from SoFi for their investment analysis. So check it out, and if you like it, follow at Market Call on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media on YouTube so you never miss an episode. What's up, peeps? It is the penultimate day of the month of August Q for you playing our home game. Two is day. You're watching Market Call. I'm Guy Adami with a black T-shirt under a dress shirt. Never a good look. Joined by Dan Nathan with a black dress shirt. Uh, but that's probably yeah. for another show. Today's Market Call is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, CME Group, Dan, where risk meets opportunity. What I'll tell you is there's been a lot of risk. We are powered, by the way, by Open Exchange. I'm powered by life. Clearly not powered by a New York Yankee team that now on the West Coast has dropped two games to the Athletics of Oakland, and they lost a tough game uh, to the Angels of Anaheim or California or Los Angeles, whatever the hell they're from yeah. last evening. Hello, Dan. Hi, hi Guy. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you bring up that fashion faux pas with the black T-shirt. Yeah, it's bad. The, kinda, it's bad. You know, and I will say this. I looked at Steven, you know, who works with us. and I said, you know, Yeah, you're probably going to think I'm a sociopath, but you see this shirt. I think it was Doug Cass who mentioned when he was watching last week that I was rocking. He sent an email to me, and you're like a Johnny Cash look. I literally have seven of the same exact shirts. Uh. You can tell the difference. These I just got. I just got three more that have white buttons. I have some that have black mm. buttons. It's just kind of a bit of a uniform there. Well, you it's interesting. The, you know, yeah. it's a show. It's a it's a sign of genius. You know, Albert Einstein only basically had one out. He didn't have to think. You know, he had yeah. so many other things yeah. to do. If you were called Russell Crowe in a beautiful mind, a beautiful I mean, mind. these are people yeah. that you know they just didn't have the time. For wardrobe, which is why I, that puts you in rarefied air. Nice job. Well, me, well, I would just say that, but I look good in it. I think that those guys look like a bunch of schleps. That's the big okay. difference there. So okay. I'll just say that. All right, let's get, let's let's get into it. This is a CME day. We look at the we, we look at the macro. We look at the markets through the futures lens, and we got a lot of stuff to talk about here. Couple tweets that caught our eye this mm-hmm. morning. I just want to kind of set the stage for the market action that we are seeing. This is. Charlie Bellello, he's a great follow on the Twitter. He said, during the previous eight bear markets, the Fed responded with easy money, rate cuts, QE, et cetera. You love all of the et cetera, don't you there? This year, they're doing the opposite, hiking rates and expected to continue hiking for the rest of the year. Last time we saw a hawkish Fed during the bear market, early 80s under Volcker, he had some data. Then our friend Michael Batnick of the mm. Animal Spirits podcast and Ritholtz Management he tweeted for the first time since January of 2013, the S&P 500 has not been within 5% of an all-time high for 90 days. So that's what this last 90 days has been like, guy, not within 5% of an all-time high. What do you make of that's, all you know, of that? Think about that for a second. I mean, that's an incredible yeah. statistic. I mean, you know, numbers, you can make them do whatever you want them to do. But yeah. you think about that. That's pretty remarkable. And what it basically has said, and I'm, you know, I'm paraphrasing to a certain point, but as the Fed was adding liquidity to the system for years, 
effectively, they never allowed the market to sell off in a meaningful way. Yeah, we had yeah. some sell-offs, but they did not last all that long. And now the world's changed. So going back to Charlie Bellello, who is a great follow, what's changed now? Well, the difference, obviously, now for the first time in nearly 50 years is there's an inflation problem. And people are trying to combat that. Now, Volcker was in the 80s. I get it. But you understand what I'm saying. Yep. He did what was right at the time. It was not particularly politically expedient, but it was what was necessary. And that's what's going on now. So, you know, they're going to be some eggs broken, as they say, as they make this omelet and the collateral damage will probably be in the market. And we talked about it yesterday. When Anil Kashkari comes out and makes the comments that he made, and we discussed it, you have to wonder, again, is the market going to be sort of ancillary to everything else? And I think it is. And we've been spot on on this one. I'm wrong all the time, but we've gotten this one right. And we're going to talk about levels here in a second. But yeah. this all makes a lot of sense to me. You know what's funny? I mean, I think I've said this on our podcast or on Market Call in the past. I mean, for years on Fast Money, you've been talking about inflation being here in all the wrong places, not measured correctly. And you know what? You said it and you said it again and you said it again and you talked about healthcare and you talked about education and you talked about different socioeconomic demographics. And it really wasn't until this pandemic, which again, you and I have spent a lot of time talking about how it was really an uneven sort of situation as it relates to who got bailed out and you know, like all that sort of stuff. And it just kind of fascinating that we're still having this argument about, um, you know, tuition and uh, our student loan relief and everything like that. But it's just, it, it, again, I think that you would, um, you've said this in many ways, that all the things that we discuss, it hits the, the harder, you know, the lower economic bounds that much harder here, you know, and all of us can sit here and debate it. But at the end of the day, you know, we make it out just okay, right? Each time here, Guy Dami? There is no real debate when it comes to that. And I've said no. this, and I'm not trying to get off the topic here, but yeah. you know, for a lot of people, for the wealthy, you know, they'll go to their cocktail parties on Saturday. You know, they'll have their barbecues this weekend, and they'll laugh about, you know, oh, I bought gas for $6 a gallon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, for them, it's just sort of funny, and it doesn't change their life. For some people, for mi millions of people in this country, it's the difference between, and I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, but it's true. You know, do I decide to feed my family this week? Yeah. Put gas in my car. And again, I mean, I'm not going to put it all at the feet of the Fed, but a lot of what's going on here has been because the situation, the easy money situation, literally for the last 15 years has run amok. And now we're yeah. paying for it on the back end. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, listen, again, it's just massaging some of that data throughout just because, um, you know, they can, I guess, and they kind of left leave their, their, their pedal on the metal for way too long. All right, let's look at the S&P 500 here, because we talked yesterday about Friday's sort of bloodbath. You and I both agreed that it felt orderly right throughout mm -hmm. the day it was not a bit panicky and maybe that's just kind of algo trading that's the way it goes these days i think it's interesting and you remember this because you were a guy trading commodities in the late 80s and you traded stocks throughout the 90s um also you know when there's more people involved there's more emotion involved there's more you know back then there was a lot of that okay where can i sell a hundred thousand of these a specialist would widen out the market right three dollars or in a fast market so everything fell a bit more dramatic it just seems like technology has smoothed a lot of this. And I think that's what felt like on Friday. Now, yesterday, they were trying to hold in. They were trying to rally him at some point. They couldn't do it. They tried to rally him this morning, the S&P. And look what happened here. They just gave up. What's your take on this near-term action? And what do you expect into, let's say, this Friday, where we know there's going to be a long weekend? Well, I mean, I know you know Doug Cass has mentioned it. And I'm sure if Doug's watching, thanks for all your input. But you know, he talked about huge... Um, 
redemptions in the form of selling billions of dollars worth of equities. That seems to be taking place right before our very eyes. So, and I actually believe this today, you could see the panic, but I happen to think the panic you might see today is to the upside. And the levels that we traded down to today, Dan, and we've talked about this numerous times. You asked me, what's the first stop in the S&P? And we've said it's going to be a 50% retracement of the June low, which was effectively 36.35 or thereabouts, and the recent high north of 4,300. And that basically put a smack dab at the levels we traded it down to today. So it would not surprise me in the slightest if we saw a bounce today. And I'll tell you, that bounce, if in fact it does happen, will feel like panic because it could happen very quickly. So we'll see. I've said it a number of times. The most panic I've seen over the last six months has been to the upside, not the downside. And Friday was not panicked at all. Friday was about as orderly as you get. And we're going to talk about the VIX as well. The VIX does not speak of panic either, Dan Nathan. Yeah, but I, you know, listen, I'm going to take the other side of that okay, call. That's what makes markets. Last... I like it. Well, I just don't see any leadership here. And I see that they tried to rally them on the open. They opened up the futures. They opened up some of these NASDAQ stocks pretty decently. And then they just kind of gave up very quickly. And I think the longer they kind of, you know, kind of vacillate down here into the afternoon, the more likely they are to kind of close towards the lows. And I think what Doug's point was very simply is that, you know, a lot of hedge funds have 30-day redemption windows. And so if you think you're going to get a lot of redemption notices um, on August, August 31st, and you're going to have to give cash back um, on you know September 31st or whatever. You're going to have to raise cash now in anticipation of that. So that could be what's going mm-hmm. on. But I also think that you know what happened on Friday. I think the Fed changing the narrative, and it wasn't their narrative. It was a market narrative. It was a wish casting narrative by a lot of investors that they were going to pivot at some point in the fall. That the market, you know, like you know, you know. I mean, to me, you know, we covered that pretty. Well. Well, we thought the market gave them cover into last Friday, a month that they did not have a meeting, that huge rally at 20% off the lows in two months off the S&P 500 to be hawkish, to do what they're there to do and control inflation readings. If I look at this S&P chart guy, I, you know, maybe you get a reversal. I, I just think it's got to touch that uptrend, which mm-hmm. is probably near 3,900 before it wants to bounce here. And maybe you see a bit of a crescendo into month end um, tomorrow morning and maybe a rally after that. But I also wanted to highlight this one chart that a friend of mine, Jorge, who's a great chartist here, um, put out this morning in one of his notes, um, which is really to a select group of institutional clients. It's not a retail-based thing, but he drew this line. We've drawn this line in the past. Does this 10-year you know, support resistance line. It was resistance. It blew out in early 2021, but you see it now. Content. Does this line mean anything to you in this time frame, guy in the S and P futures? No, I mean I understand what you're doing here. And Jorge, by the way, was the name I think of the potentially illegitimate son in the movie Meet the Fockers. You did not have that on your bingo card, so I'm sorry. But does the line mean anything? Yeah, it's interesting. I guess. I mean, look, if you look at this very, very. Um, well, what I'll say succinctly is we traded up to it and failed a number of times into 2020, finally broke through it, and now we're testing it again. So it's a little fugazi, I guess, but I understand yeah. the duration suggests that maybe there's something here. And I'm with you on that. And listen, I think you make a good point in terms of that prior chart if we could sort of toggle back and take a yeah. look. But you know, we're in this pennant formation, so you're probably right. We should test that uptrend that we um, they're seemingly in the midst of since I don't know Dan what I mean uh, June ish yeah, June yeah. low so we'll see 
I'm not bullish by any stretch. My only point is today feels like one of those days where we could reverse and we'll see how it shakes out. Well, I'll tell you this. I mean, last week I was you know, talking about how I was positioning. I, I jumped on Carter's short trade in Apple. That became a big mm-hmm. position of mine. I jumped on a Tesla trade over the last month that had been very painful, but it's starting to work. I was also in some spy puts that I closed out on Friday. I talked about that on our trading spaces and I rolled them into QQQ, the NASDAQ 100. And so that's working out. But one of the things when you get this sort of price action over multiple days here, you got to take profits along the way. You got to respect some of the levels because everyone's looking at the same charts. They're drawing a lot of the same lines and they're thinking the same stuff. All right. Here's one thing you just mentioned, the VIX. And you and I, you know, we know a lot about the derivatives market. Okay. And one of the things I think is really interesting is that when you see the sort of near-term price action that we have seen, we're seeing an S&P that's down more than 7 8% in two weeks. That's a big move, but you do not see the VIX, okay, the S&P 500 volatility index, acting in a commensurate way. What does that tell me, guy? It tells me that a lot of people were bared up into the mm-hmm. sell-off. They had protection on here. You'll hear terms like, well, people, traders, portfolio managers, monetizing their hedges. That suppresses volatility. So if you look at this chart going back to the start of 2020, you see that massive move right from the VIX, which is multi-year lows, all the way uh, you know above 80 briefly. The S&P 500 sold up 35% in that time zone or that time frame here. But now we kind of grind down to 20. We're at 27. It doesn't feel like panic in the VIX guy. Not at all. And I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of the reasons why I think this is one of those environments where people have been positioned for this move in the form of being long vol, long puts, whatever it is. So by definition, if you've anticipated this and it happens, um, it's going to mitigate the move to the upside. There no, in my opinion, there's nothing surprising for a lot of market participants. When the VIX does spike to extremes, it typically happens when you have some exogenous vent out of nowhere that people are not prepared for. Um, so to your point, yeah. I think people are prepared for this. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think it means the market doesn't go down as quickly, but it doesn't mean the market still can't go lower. I just think in the form of the protection that's in place, it just creates some speed bumps along the way. Yeah, no no doubt about that. And here's a chart going back to the start of 2020. I overlaid the S&P 500 guy um, versus the VIX. And and again, you know, if we were to see, let's say, you know, the S&P come back towards those recent lows, right, which was what, 3630 or so, when it was down there earlier in the spring, we had a VIX that was in and around 35. Just to kind of give you a sense, this chart, there's nothing real mathematical or interesting about it, just to kind of give you a sense of where the S&P could go. Let's talk about the NASDAQ futures, the NASDAQ 100 here, Guy. Um, again, they had kind of broken out a little bit above that downtrend that had been in place since January. You see that well-defined uptrend. It bounced off of it um, a couple times in July and then really put some distance between it here. You see that we are now um, contending with that uptrend here. Thoughts on the NASDAQ. And then I have three charts that I'm really focused on big components of the NASDAQ 100 that to me are telling me something. Thoughts on, on, on NASDAQ versus S&P and how you're thinking about yeah, the action. Well, there. you mentioned Apple. I mean, and you've you've basically shown the math around what the, the percentage that Apple is for the S&P 500, for the NASDAQ and those types of things. But it should come as no surprise that that move in the NASDAQ basically corresponds to the move that we saw in Apple. And then the subsequent move lower sort of mirrors Apple. So what do I think? Well, we're going to talk about some of these bigger names in a second, but 
I think that bounce, and we've talked about it, was your opportunity to pare down risk. And in my opinion, it was a gift. Why? Again, because it came down to the reaction of so many of these huge names on the back of earnings. And I'll say it for the hundredth time. The earnings weren't great. The stock reactions were great. So I don't want people to get confused here. And at a certain point, fundamentals start to take hold. And we're going to look at a couple stocks in a minute where that's manifesting itself right now. But what do I think? Yeah, it absolutely feels like the path is going to be back towards those June lows. The question is, again, to the S&P chart, do we bounce first? Now, as we're sitting here, uh, the sell-off is sort of gaining some momentum. We'll see. But I think you know where I stand on this one. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, again, I think you're you're trying to kind of come up with levels that it makes sense to see bounces. I mean, markets just don't move in one direction. There was some data that I think was when we were on Fast Money last night. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was just how infrequent the S&P moves 10%, you know, in a short period of time. And I'll go back and just say this. Hey, in, into June, into that June Fed meeting, the S&P dropped 10% in a straight line in about a week. And, and that seems like a long time ago because we had that kind of 45-degree angle from mid-June, right, in the S&P at about 36 up to about 4,300. Um, but, you know, it was kind of like escalator up, elevator down. And you can give me the data of how frequent, oh, you hate that. I mean, guy, I just I just triggered you there, man. I mean, that is probably, what, top five saying, market sayings, you just well, cannot you know, stand. I mean, it, it's become, back in the day, we used to say it, nobody knew it. I usually say the stairs up and the elevator yeah. down because yeah. the stairs, you know, it's an arduous process. Escalator, you oh, just stand in there. But I mean, yeah. anyway. Well, you're not, listen, I walk on escalators. I am not one of those guys who stands there and looks at my text while I'm on an escalator. Uh, I'm going to tell you that right now. You you must walk up an escalator. I actually don't. I, if, if stairs are an option, I take yeah. the stairs. And for you people in the airports that, you know, they have those long treadmill yeah. type things, the length of the corridor, do yourself a favor. All right, people, unless you're late for your flight, walk. Motion <laughs> is medicine, okay? And we could all stand to lose a few, including right. you. You know, I'm looking, not you, Dan, you. you know no, I'm you're looking, looking at me. You're looking no, at I'm me. I'm not. I'm not. You're looking at me. All right, so let's talk about a few names in the NASDAQ that we think are very important. They're obviously very important um, stocks in the S&P 500, but in NASDAQ 100, they have a much greater weight here. And you just said it. Microsoft, this mm-hmm. was, again, you've said it many occasions. We don't have to go through it. Wasn't a great quarter. The stock reaction was pretty good. Got rejected after a big rally, right? At its 200-day moving uh, average, you've also mentioned that pre-opening, I, I think in the aftermarket, after Microsoft reported and guide, the stock was trading down. It was down near like 240 or so. You see the level there. This one's important to me, Guy. After the close tonight, we're going to get Hewlett uh, Packard and Hewlett Enterprises. Really interesting what they're going to have to say about enterprise spending. We've heard from Dell in the last week. We've heard from Salesforce. So to me, this one's of interest. Talk to me on Microsoft. Adobe as well, you mention all the time. Yeah. Listen, again, Microsoft is, I think, one of the top three most important companies in the world. It's an extraordinarily well-run company. This has got nothing to do with the company. It's got everything to do with the stock in this environment. And again, the quarter was okay. By Microsoft standards, it was not good at all. The stock reaction was great, Dan, because during the conference call, they talked about not seeing a slowdown in demand. Yeah. And that sort of set the wheels in motion to have this relief rally up to 290-something or so from that 242 low post-earnings. With that said, I mean, we traded right up to the moving average, uh, failed at it, rolling over here. And again, because they haven't seen a slowdown in demand yet, doesn't mean a slowdown isn't coming. And I think that's the point that you've made a number of times. So again, 
stock market going higher doesn't mean the problems around businesses have been solved. All it means is stocks went higher. Yeah. Well, I think that's also a really important point about kind of, you know, a company like Microsoft, they can just piece it out little by little, just saying that incrementally we're seeing a change in this sort of demand and this sort of end market or this, you know, sort of, um, you know, I mean, to me, that's how it's going to go. Unless that things really hit the skids, like we saw with some of the retailers and the situations that they had with inventories, they're just not going to kitchen sink it, right? They're just not going to. So let's keep an eye on that. Yeah, we're and, in, we're, and I'm not trying yeah. to, but yes, yeah. you're 100% right, but they will not, by almost by definition, they're not going to see all of a sudden a 32% inventory build because the businesses Correct. aren't built yep. that way. I mean, that's specific yep. to retailers like Walmart and Target. But with that said, they could absolutely see something similar in terms of a demand slowdown. And then you have Correct. to wonder what happens on it. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt, but no, I, 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 point you made. Uh, no, but it, it, again, and I appreciate what you're saying there. Um, speaking of a company that's not going to kitchen sink anything, let's look at Tesla. This is a really important one because I just think of all the positive sentiment. This is about as close to a cult stock as you will get in this market. It's kind of the way people used to think about Apple back yeah. in the day here. The stock has traded very well. You know, It's had a, a tar hard time, I think, of late with that 200-day moving average. Um, here's a chart going back to the start of 2021. I mean, we just drew, drew that kind of um you know that that support level down there just above 200 and it goes you know the 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 low going back to the start of 2021 is maybe like 180 or so i would expect the next target would be 250 i am short of the name that's where i'd actually probably take a good part of that position off here and then guy i want to get your take on on, on facebook there here because this one you know horrible. Is, yeah it, it really trades horribly it really feels like you know this stock is down 54 55 percent on the year down more from its all-time Time highs. Look at how it's trading right here. And, and do you agree that this is an important name from a sentiment yes. standpoint? Yeah, give it to me. Well, I mean, I you know, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but you think about how many ETFs or different yeah. funds that names like Apple and Microsoft find themselves in. So you, a lot of people out there don't even realize they own it. So, you know, it's great on the way up when things are going higher and everybody's buying things hand over fist. The flip side of that is when they're selling. So not only are they feeling the effects of self inflicted wounds but obviously you know as the market rolls over it becomes basically things get exaggerated to the downside and that's what we're seeing here there's been zero bounce in apple excuse me in facebook i mean zero bounce in facebook yeah, yeah, yeah. a couple of days here and there but look at we're within i mean not that we have the chart but you look out i mean we're talking about stock that's trading down the levels we saw right around march may of covid in 2020 which is not a good performance at all. So yes, I think to your point, in terms of just sentiment and stuff, people look to Facebook, my God, what's going on in the market? And I think you, you can't take this for granted. And again, the fact that it hasn't bounced, having been sold off 50% yeah. is alarming. Well, the COVID low guy is 140, and you yeah. know here we are Look about 10 percent away from that. Five or something. I mean, it, it is pretty amazing though that this is a company that is you know sales are going to be down you know close to 30 or excuse me earnings down 30 percent this year on a gap basis, and sales down are going to be like basically flat, but they're going to reaccelerate here. And I mean, listen, they have regulatory issues. They have issues about their pivot towards uh, uh, you know to the metaverse, whatever that means or so. But this is a cheap stock trading about 15 times 
next mm-hmm. years. And so at some point, you know, with a company that has gross margins of about 80%, if you don't see, you know, a big degradation, this thing's going to be a screaming buy. I, I tried buying it. I did buy it. I did sell it. Um, I do have some issues with their business. Um, and there's probably one more kitchen sink quarter there. All right, guy, we're going to do, what do you call this in the business? We just kind of talk stocks. We're going to do talk- an awkward segue. We're going to go yeah. from Facebook. By the way, if you hear me say meta, it's because I yeah. slipped. I mean, yeah. it's like that scene, if you recall the movie, um, 12, excuse me, Coming to America in the Barbershop. I mean, you know, Facebook to me will always be Facebook. Folks at home know what I'm talking about. But we're going to make an awkward segue to rates, Dan, because that's what we do. <laughs> that's what we do. But this is one that that's kind of interesting. And again, I really like the way that you've been framing what the two-year treasury yield and the strength there means relative to the 10-year. You know, again, mm-hmm. you've routinely said the two-year is the thing that the Fed can create, uh, you know, really dictate with Fed funds and what they choose to do there, which is breaking out to a new cycle high here. The 10-year, though, is really reflective of inflation versus growth, right? Right. And if you look at that, we've drawn some lines there. Carter also agrees with those lines. It really feels like the 10 year wants to take a pause. It looks like um, a bit of a head and shoulders. Talk to us real quickly here how you're thinking about this 210. We know it's inverted to about 35. You thought it would get here. What'd you say? Three and a half on the two. You said this months and months ago, even before I think the Fed started raising interest rates. Three and a half and three is what you thought on the 210. Madness. Um, Madness. For those with, this is a good bingo word, temerity. I think the non-consensus ballsy trade here is to be long of the TLT, effectively betting that rates in that mag- in that duration, in this case, a 20-year, 10-year, depending on what you're looking at, are going to go lower. And that chart right there illustrates exactly that. It makes no sense. And people like you're out of your mind. But if you look at this, this has every reason, especially if the broader market does sell off. You're going to see yields go lower in the form of a flight to quality on top of yields going lower because the data around the economy has been miserable. So those two things will magnify themselves. I think that 210 spread, which did, by the way, get to close to negative 50 basis points, will continue to widen out. And again, I don't think it augurs particularly well for things. In this environment, if rates go lower, they're going lower because things are bad. And if rates go higher, it's not because the economy is getting better. Yeah. So what do we call that, Dan? A bit of a witch's, witch's brew. brew. All right, there you go. Just to kind of reset here, just to kind of give a sense to the listener, to the viewer. Um, you know, Guy and I um, are definitely in the retest as it relates to S&P 500 camp. Um, you know, the twos are going to do what the Fed continues to do on that end. But like we think that inflation um, is going to continue to put pressure on growth. And you're going to see that reflective in the 10-year yield. You've been saying for a few days now, the way to play that guy would be long TLT, the inverse of the yield yeah. on the longer dated bond. All right, let's talk about this one here because, you know, what I guess, what did we say? WTF and WTI here, guy, we got to move to crude oil Clever. here. Look Clever. at this move 
that we're having today. Because yesterday, you and I, if we were going to spend some time in this sector, we would be like, hey, listen, that that's that thing looks like it's poised to break out. The headlines are supportive of it, right? And then we were looking at some of the equity um, ETFs, the OIH, the XLE, that you know where the names that that track the commodity are in. And we set up a bullish trade idea. If you're looking to play yeah. that on the back of the crude chart, it looks different today. You know, I don't think. Look, maybe it's coincidence. I don't know, but it, the market rolled over, and the commodities, specifically here, crude oil rolled over just about the same time. You started hearing about some sort of. I don't want to use the word uprising, some news between China and Taiwan. So Taiwan, it appears as though they may be escalating this thing on their own. So I've said for a while that geopolitical risk is one of the probably biggest concerns for the broader market. We were saying that in the fall. It came to fruition, obviously, Russia, Ukraine, and it's starting to here, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, I was in the camp. Still, by the way, I'm in the camp that crude goes higher. But you see days like today, you're like, what are you talking about? So Here's the battle line. I mean, you, you've nailed it for quite some time. I mean, crew doesn't know what it wants to do. I think the fundamentals suggest higher, um, but I, maybe the path of least resistance and the non-consensus trade is lower here. Well, it's funny, you know, I mean, your your fundamental view has been correct, but it's reset at just kind of lower levels, right? Because there were some of those extreme moves that we saw because of Russia, Ukraine, um, and the supply demand dynamics, which you've mentioned many times, they're not going to get better anytime soon. But the price action suggests something different. Hey, listen, when Carter showed us this crude chart, you know, the, the bounce off of the January breakout, which was the prior high, right, back in uh, November or so and you see that downtrend that's been in place that's pretty powerful i guess if you're looking to trade the commodity or you're trading trading etfs you know based on the direction of the commodity i think you'd stop it at that green line there if you see crude meaningfully close below that maybe the trade's done for a while that's just my two cents guy now look if we listen i'll say this if we were to take a look at that horizontal line it ain't going to stop next time is my sense yeah. so it's been a great call. I think you've been spot on. You know, I've been probably fighting it now for a while. Days like yesterday give me hope that, well, not hope. That's the wrong thing. We're just sort of validate my thesis. But then days like today, it sort of punches a series of holes in them. We'll see. But again, yeah. you listen to Halima Croft, listen to Paul Sankey, people that have forgotten more about this stuff than I'll ever yeah. know. They still think higher. So I'm with them. Yeah. All right. So here's one little problem with the crude trade. Let's pull up the Dixie, the U.S. dollar index oh, yeah. here. Oh, and it looks yeah. like, listen, you know, it, it bounced off of that uptrend, okay, that had been in place since, I, I want to say, you know, January or so. It's been a well-defined uptrend. You see a little double top here. You see it making a little bit of a flag, though, at the prior highs. And I'll just say this. If the U.S. dollar continues to go higher, that should also put pressure on commodity, which is right. crude oil. I agree with that. And look, dollar going higher makes a lot of sense for a myriad of different reasons. Obviously, the Fed has stated what they want to do. That's bullish of the dollar and you think of what's going on in europe and the dxy being 60 percent ish of the euro i mean that's a mess over there so you know they're going one way we're going the other so it makes sense the dollar's going higher carter actually earlier this well i think it was in june said there was potential for a pullback in the dollar everybody was consensus and that's exactly what happened that's when we traded down to that green uptrend line but it bounced and i still think there's significant room to the upside here in the dollar, which sounds great, but it's not necessarily for multinationals. And I'm just going to throw a number out there. The number is seven, not the movie with Brad Pitt, 
but I think that was a movie, right? Dan? Yeah, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. And wasn't like, yeah, what what's in the box? Movie? What's in the box? Yeah, that was Kevin Spacey. What's in the box? That was, yeah. that was a rough movie. Anyway, well, first sorry. of all, first of all, you can't. Kevin Spacey's uncredited there, and you just oh, literally. Yeah. I mean, but you know, like spoiler, bro. You, like you don't know how to use a spoiler alert. No. Well, I mean, you tell me. I mean, look, the movie's what is it? Twenty five years old. If you haven't seen it yet, tough shit. But my point is this. <laughs> China, the, the yuan, seven is the level you have to watch. I mean, if that continues yeah. to devalue, you remember, Dan, it was the summer, I believe, August of 2016, if memory serves. 15. 15. 15. When China devalued. And remember what happened in the ensuing months in the U.S. equity market. Just something. US, you know what's funny? I was just out to dinner on Sunday night, and I was out with a couple that we happened to be in Spain with on August 26th. 2015 and that's when that happened and our markets went haywire we were mm-hmm. at like a water park with our kids but i was out with them the other night and we were talking about that's when we first met this couple so here we are guy seven years later and we're talking we're out to dinner to the day that we met and we were in spain and it just so happens it was when the chinese were messing with the world all right let's quickly talk about messing with gold here because that stronger dollar is having an effect on the gold market that's not particularly great you and I've talked about it here. Here's the one-year chart. You see it contending with you know levels that um, are not particularly great. But when you kind of look at it, broaden it out, guy, a little bit to a five-year, you see the range that it's been in. And it just shows you, I, I guess, if it were to break here, we talked about it briefly last week. Your next stop is somewhere, I don't know, just above 1,600. Maybe it's 1,580 or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Now, look, this has been a tough one. The horizontal line absolutely is in play in terms of support. But again, like crude, if it were to get there this time, it probably doesn't hold. Moving averages starting to roll over, not particularly bullish. Monster double top, and the duration suggests that's a very powerful indicator. There's nothing here to be bullish about. Now that the Fed is, you know, basically their mandate is to crush the reason why gold exists, you can understand why gold is going lower. It makes sense. People say to me, wait, we're in this huge inflationary environment. Why isn't gold working? And the answer is, because the Fed is trying to combat that, and that's why gold is going lower. It makes, I mean, if you think about it, it does make sense. So the next question is, well, is there an environment where gold goes higher? Yeah, if the Fed, if the Fed blinks or stops or slow down or messages something other than they've been messaging, that'll yeah. be the green light. But it's pretty clear that that's not a path they're currently on. Yeah, and I guess it's weight on Bitcoin too. We talked about yeah. Bitcoin yesterday with Carter, and he showed us a short-term chart where he liked the uptrend. And you brought it up the other day. He's had a couple of really great tactical trading calls on spot Bitcoin. But you know, and I brought up the point where, like last week, I was fairly bearish on the charts that I had kind of drawn and looked up, and for the reasons that we kind of just articulated why you know a risk asset like this might be heavy given what the Fed is intending to do. Look at the chart of the futures. Okay, these trade on the CME here, guy. And that chart looks less than great. If you look at that downtrend that's been in place since late March here, Bitcoin futures, and you look and see where it's about to breach. And then if you broaden it out to a five year, and it's interesting that in late 2017, that's when the CME did list Bitcoin futures. It corresponded with the top 
in the spot market and then a very long bear market. You can see why that 20,000 level, what we're contending with right now, is so important going back to that. Because when we broke out above 2020 or in late 2020 in a very easy monetary environment where a lot of macro traders said, this is a good macro trade given what I think is going to happen. Well, here we are now, right? After, you know, touching almost 70,000 late last year or so. And here we are contending with this 20,000 level again. So, you know, we talk about Carter's technicals. We talk about our fundamental views. But listen, people, you got to use stops in and around these technical levels. That's how you got to trade them. No, that's 100% right. And again, it's very similar. It's not coincidence. We've talked about this. But for you newbies out there, it's it's not coincidence that Bitcoin topped out just as the Fed Uh, it stated their mandate to control inflation back in November. I don't, and again, again, it's not coincidence how it's traded since then, quite frankly. So when the market thinks the Fed's going to pivot, that's when Bitcoin rallied. When they made it clear they're not, that's when Bitcoin sold off. So we'll see how this thing shakes out. But you're right. The place to trade it, Dan, is the CME. Well, I shouldn't say the because you have to take that out. It's CME, a CME. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and again, one of the reasons why futures work so well is obviously your ability to put in stops when you enter a trade there. And they're very liquid markets there. So, all right. That's speaking just, of, speaking yeah. of stops, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Time we got a hard stop. stop. We got a hard stop. This was I like, you know, the Tuesdays are fun because it's just the two of us like the song. Yeah, just um, and I enjoy that. Us. But you know, listen, I think people sometimes enjoy hearing another voice. So guess what? Yeah. Tomorrow you're gonna hear yeah. a couple of voices. You're gonna hear Tom Sazanoff of Tasty Trade. You can hear Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. That's tomorrow, Wednesday, final day of the month of August. Then we get in September where things could get interesting. I want to thank our sponsor, CME Group. I want to thank Open Exchange for powering us over the last 36 minutes. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day, Dan, because I'm 5,000. All right. See you later. I'm actually going to see you on Fast Money. Guy. Stop you're gonna it. Be I, you're going to be IRL sitting right next to me. How's that, buddy? All right. See I'll see you, you later. Soon. All right. Bye.